here's what the cold open is going to be. Did you guys know that oh, this okay. is technically the Christmas episode? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm very sorry. So, yeah, we, we record these like a month or two in advance. Um, and uh, I just was going through the schedule, figuring out when the episodes we're recording today are going to be released. And I just realized that this is this is getting released on Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, this is this is not going to be a Christmas episode. I apologize. It's a bit of a um, doubter. Yeah, next uh, next year, if we're still doing this in a year, I will do a better job keeping track of the scheduling so that we can have episodes appropriate to the holidays they're being released on. <laughs> well, uh, Merry Christmas to everybody. Uh, I'm so, so happy you're listening to this on. Actually, you know what? If you're listening to this on Christmas, turn it off right now. Yeah, no, don't listen. What, what are you doing? Go, like, like talk to somebody. Go... Go hang out with your friends, with your family. I please don't listen to this on Christmas Day. We're talking about like a episode about child porn. Like, <laughs> just you know, you don't have to do that on Christmas Day after Christmas. Maybe that kind of fits the like sad, like oh, Christmas is over feel. I guess maybe you could do it then. Listen on the twenty sixth. Yeah, this is a great podcasting thing we're doing right now is I am currently, we are currently recording as lecturing people for listening to this podcast. Is this the, the cold open? Is scheduled that, to release. That, yes. Is this, yeah, this the, is what the, we're the doing. Pre, the, the, to get us warming up to do, to, to do the, <laughs> just I say the, say, say the, 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 the intro. The say intro. the intro. Okay. Please. All right. All right. In Patterson, New Jersey, a 911 hoax created a massive citywide investigation. In New York City, the dedicated detective who investigated this hoax ended up winning an Emmy. This is Mariska Hargitay's story. Dun dun. Dun dun. Okay, that that was. Welcome, everybody, to The Good Apples, a podcast about Law & Order SVU, the real-life events that inspired the show, and the worldview of the man himself, Dick Wolf. I'm Josiah. I'm Tamara. Oh, shit, sorry. <clears throat> and I'm Jackal. <laughs> and, and we're The Good Apples, and we're missing Josh again this episode. He's out for he's out for at least this episode. He might be out for the next few. We'll see, because uh, our boy is getting married, as we said last episode. That he so he is. is busy. Woohoo! So, so everybody, everybody, if you find him on social media, I think he plugged his Instagram. I think he's opening up a little bit. You could just bombard him with messages saying congratulations for getting married. Just do that. You could do that. Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Okay. We're talking about the, the greatest episode of all time, supposedly. Um, and by that, I mean, we, we were looking through a bunch of lists of like what the best SVU episode is apparently. And a handful of the lists put this one at number one. I think we'll return to this mm -hmm. and do some of the other number ones on different lists. And then we'll like over time decide which one we think is actually right. But for, uh, for this is our first entry. It is um, <clears throat> season seven, episode three, nine, one, one. Yeah. It's uh the structure of this episode is uh, pretty different from uh, standard Law and Order, like the standard template of the Law and Order episode. It kind of is smaller in the the cast feels smaller, um, more hyper focused. Yeah, um, it is. It is yeah, mostly focused. 
or go ahead. It, it's really Olivia Benson that's holding most of the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, yeah, uh, uh, Stabler doesn't even appear in the episode. Um, no, the whole episode. Yeah. Um, which, which caused a little bit of a thing because it was season seven was when they wanted to nominate a bunch of SVU stars for, um, Emmys for their performance. But then this mm-hmm. was the best performing episode off the season. So, uh, you know, as, as I mentioned, Mariska Hargitay got her, um, got an Emmy from it. And then, uh, Christopher Maloney was nominated for an Emmy for this season, but it was for a different episode. Um, and I don't believe he actually won it. Um, Although there was like a funny anecdote I ran into where uh, they had called Christopher Maloney and told him he got an Emmy while he was on a ski trip and he was just not at all interested in having an Emmy. Yeah, so that, that like, track. <laughs> he's just like, okay, I'm going to go back to skiing now. That's cool. <laughs> that that tracks for everything that we know about Christopher Maloney. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, I found the, the quote from Wikipedia anyway was, Cool! Exclamation point. I'm going back to ski. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, but this is going to be, this is an Olivia Benson-centric episode. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's it's got a different structure because it's it, this one, more than most of these, epi- actually, you, you know what I'll say, is a lot of the episodes we've talked about, feel like they're a whole like mini series shoved into one hour long episode or 40 minute long episode. You know, this one feels like a movie condensed into the 40 minute episode because it really is too, like, yeah. it's got a real thriller driving force. One objective kind of push to it, you know? So we open up on uh, a nine one one call coming in from a nine year old child named Maria who says that she's locked in a room um, and she hasn't drank water or eaten food in two days. Um, they transfer the call over to SVU and Olivia Benson takes it. Um, Maria is refuse- refusing to say her last name or say who her parents are. She won't give an address. There's apparently no windows in the room she's in, just a bed and a picture on the wall. She had found the phone that she's making the call from in who she keeps calling Richard's jacket, um, who she sometimes calls her dad and sometimes calls Richard. And she's, she's saying that her mother died. Um, so right off the bat, it's, it's got a kind of heightened emotional thing. Like, uh, Olivia Benson is like doing a, is supposedly like, we're doing a really good job just like with a kid and trying to get information out. But the kid is just like, really cagey about information. <clears throat> I believe also like uh, Benson was getting ready for, uh, for a date as yeah, well before uh, this, this rolls through. Yeah. She was, she was literally getting in the car with her date when the captain came out and called her back in the station, which I actually thought was, I mean, like it was kind of weird. Like the captain said he just needed her to come in and keep her talking on the phone until they could trace the call and then find the girl. I just thought it was weird that they had to call in Benson when she was like getting off to deal with this case. And it, it ends up being good that they did pull Benson to be on this case because the case ends up being a much bigger deal than they initially thought it was. But I just thought that was weird. Um, but they call her in. And so this whole episode, she's actually there in her, like, little black dress and heels. 
Yeah, it's also weird to think that most of this episode takes place in a night. Um, most Law and Order episodes, you assume that it's probably you know you're, you're probably like truncating like a couple days at least of, of investigating. But yeah, here, yeah. this is uh, here. It's specifically like this is all. This is why it feels like a movie. I think is that it's so specific in. A cu- this small amount of hours um, and this small of a cast. The only actors who, the only mainstays of the cast that are, uh, you know, primarily in the episode that do something are obviously Benson, since she's the main character of this episode, uh, Cragen, uh, Munch appears at the end, same with Ice T, and I think that's it for like, uh, for, for like our, our mainstays. It's just, those those characters it's those detectives and you know leagues of of uh, of uniformed cops uh that are your our, our main cast uh the girl um uh maria and the uh spoiler the uh pedophile that's keeping her pr- imprisoned that that's it yeah it's 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 almost if it wasn't for occasionally it cutting to you know, like Finn or whatever running to do a task, it would be a chamber drama. Um, it would feel like a... It also feels you could probably just write this as a play, right? Oh, I, I bet you could. Um, it, yeah, the kind of like one location thing going on throughout it. Um, like, it, it we, we were floating whether or not to like watch this episode or watch this movie for the episode proper. And then I, you know, we decided to just kind of make it optional. But there's a, a movie with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal called the guilty that kind of follows the same structure of it being a single nine one one call going on over the course of like an hour and a half where events are getting unveiled through information they're getting over the phones. And so the whole thing is just set in one location for the whole time, you know, it feels like there's uh, been a couple more, uh, there's been a couple of movies similar to this where it focuses in Mm -hmm. on one specific nine one one call. Yeah, uh, it, it's. I mean, it's a good idea. Like, you can do a lot with phone stuff. This this isn't a nine one one call movie, but if you ever seen Lock, um, that that uh, about a guy who's just doing phones on you know phone calls while he's driving as his life is falling apart is is a really fucking good movie. I highly recommend it. But they they kind of emphasize in this episode specifically emphasize like how many things can radically change in the span of just a couple of hours. Yeah. And this does like it does what SVU does best where something spirals out of control. But I think the the stakes feel higher in this episode because it's over the course of a couple hours. You know, like one evening. And they certainly built in some some pressure into the episode because they they kind of immediately reveal early on in the phone call that the little girl hasn't eaten in two days. She's ran out of water, and the phone she has has a low battery. It's constantly throughout their call. She's getting low battery notifications. Mm-hmm. So they're really on a timeline to try to locate where this girl is and save her. Um, and the location of the phone call keeps changing. Yeah, that's that's what's throwing it off. So initially, they they connect the phone to this cab driver named Ricardo Garcia. And they're like, Ricardo, Richard, there we go. Um, they, they, you know, arrest 
you know, Ricardo, however, find out that although Ricardo does have a daughter, it's, it's a different, it's a different person. This is, this is someone else. Um, they, they go and they, they, they think break that it's into like a the... domestic thing of like, oh, okay. All right. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's, it's a, that a dad has taken, does not have custody of his daughter. Ace. And now he, he's taken her away from, from the mother because that's mm-hmm. more likely that statistically that's, that's more common. So that's yeah, what they uh, initially think, and that's why they 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 focus in on Spanish Harlem. Um, yeah, which which uh, actually the guilty is that that movie is is that's what's actually happening in that movie is a, a domestic yeah. thing. Um, yeah, that happens a lot. The uh, people taking just deciding, you know, fuck custody. I'm just gonna take my kid. Uh, mm-hmm. It happens a lot. Uh, and if you Google, uh, the stories surrounding them are very, very depressing. Um, this one manages to be more depressing, though, uh, as it's rolled <clears throat> out as to what the circumstances. It's not. It is not as it appears, and that's what you know. Cragen mm-hmm. uh, starts to think. Yeah, and so what? What they kind of have figured out by by you know breaking into, um, you know, like interrogating Ricardo and all that is that. This um, th- this is clearly someone using technology to fuck with the the um, the cell phones, and so that's why they're not getting identification. Is like the, somebody's using the kind of technology you would use if you were doing illegal shit. Like uh, a possible example would be child pornography. Um, y- you know, you you just might happen to be using an illegal phone that doesn't trace to a location. I don't know. Um. Although because what, what he, happens is that they they uh, she notes like a restaurant that that the guy will get food for her from, and they think okay all right it's in this location and they go to Felipe's, it the Felipe's building, Burgers, Felipe's Burgers and Felipe's burned down um, three months ago, but yet she said that oh maybe maybe we got it like like two days ago. Um, maybe a couple days ago, and so that's what they, they then they start to think. All right, someone's fucking with us because yeah, they, this is yeah, a prank. Her story is like not quite lining up all the time. No, like she keeps yeah. getting caught in lies or is being really vague, and so at this point they're kind of like, is this even a real caller? <clears throat> and this and, is uh, or go ahead. <clears throat> uh, Munch brings out some technology, um, and shows Olivia. That he can fake a nine one one call to her and sound like a little girl in distress. Yeah, use like a voice distorter that sounds like a, a little girl. This is this is where this is uh this is where the story that this is based off of. The the headlines it was, you know, ripped from the headlines thing is um in in New Jersey in two thousand four, um, there was this this exact and they, they reference it briefly in the episode so it's it's kind of like the the duggars episode we mentioned earlier where they reference the actual thing they're basing off of it to justify the fact that they're taking the story and changing it drastically so what the story they're taking was um a a 911 call in new jersey um that i referenced in the intro there um 911 call in new jersey that was faked but turned into a big citywide search um, like the, it was a smaller city though, it was Patterson, New Jersey, but it was like all 22 of their officers were out searching for, uh, this, this girl who had supposedly called 911 and said that, you know, uh, her mom wasn't breathing anymore. 
um, and then after five minutes hung up saying that she was tired. Um, and they, they eventually found that the stories didn't add up and that the, like the address they sent her to them, them to was, wasn't real. Um, and so they, they decided it was a hoax. Um, now I don't know whether Dick Wolf was just taking that story and going, but what if it was true and making kind of a thriller based off that or, um, well, I guess I don't think Dick Wolf wrote this episode, but you, you know what I'm saying? Or if it was somebody doubting how they handled that. And saying may- maybe they actually should have kept pursuing it. The episode was written by by Dick Wolf, uh, by the way, Dick it Wolf was. and Patrick uh, Harbinson. Um, okay, so yeah. <clears throat> so I, ah. feasibly, it's both. It it's probably both that on one hand we've seen this uh, like with the Duggars episode where uh, there's a story in the headlines and Law and Order will like shift it to uh, alter the circumstances so that they're not directly just you know basing this episode on a headline but also to in the case of the duggars episode kind of giving a but what if it was this kind of outcome that fits in the uh the kind of blue dot the 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 kind of fits the the weird conservative city liberal viewpoint that uh law and order kind of um champions Mm -hmm. so it's probably partially uh that impulse that we've seen previously in law and order but also it probably was well what if it was like you will you, you guys don't know what if it was something more serious that um you didn't properly look into so it reasonably could be said that like the origin point for this was both yeah yeah because i think i think that's kind of the doubt that this whole episode is trying to introduce is like well what if what if the reason that she, her story is inconsistent is well because she's a kid and what yeah. if the reason that the location didn't exist is because there's some weird circumstances going on. Maybe she believes that that's her address, even though it isn't actually her address, or maybe, maybe she just read the numbers wrong. You know you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's trying to kind of introduce that doubt. And the same thing goes with this with Felipe's burgers ends up solving the case. We'll get back to that. Um, but you know, at the time it, it seems to be the evidence that she's lying yeah so that's where Cragen pulls because they have like like a what was it is it like 50 50 to 100 cops uh going around uh door to door in they're Spanish like shutting Harlem. down the highways near the end oh i, mean. <laughs> I i've got a here, so here's here's a so they mention that that like uh that it changes from there to being outside the holland tunnel around there right yeah now the Holland Tunnel is a major, uh, a major uh, piece of road in New York. It connects Lower Manhattan to New Jersey, going yeah. underneath the uh, going underneath the the river. Okay, yeah, yeah. And they shut so that that's down. A... <laughs> that's they huge. they contact. Uh, this is another piece. So so they Port Authority, uh, who is in charge of of everything relating to to um, shipping in New York. They contact mm-hmm. them and they shut down the Holland Tunnel and do sh- searches of cars, you know, one by one by one. Um, because when the location changed, they think, okay, well, maybe she's like in a van. So they are searching vans and trucks and all this stuff like one by one throughout the tunnel. And they note that even if the tunnel did stop, the location would have shifted a little bit and it's staying the same. Mm-hmm. So they, so Craig and by the end of it is like, he thinks that it's a, it, Mm-hmm. Cragen thinks by the end of it that it's a 
scam. This is a ruse, and he's not going to devote um a hundred cops on a wild goose chase. Mm-hmm. Uh, Olivia's like she believes Maria. She like she hears fear in her voice that like this isn't just a this isn't just like a a, a prank call. There's something real here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um th- this this lines up with then like two other pieces of um evidence come from two other different like experts that kind of get dragged in. So one is a dialect expert uh who knows like Latin American accents really well because um Maria has has a Latin American accent of some sort. And um you know, they're able to figure out that she's from Honduras based off of this, some of the slang she uses and some of that. Um and so then they they <laughs> this is what I mean by this this spirals out of the control and I mean that like good TV way like I see why people argue this is one of the best episodes is like they have to start call- contacting the Honduran consul to like see if they can um you know like they can they can intervene and find out and where who this girl is and then like that involves Casey Novak having to run cuz the Honduran consul is apparently in New York right now at a meeting and so she like goes and intervenes at a meeting he's at a party or, he's at like oh, a excuse a me gala. yes yes yeah right he's like at a big big event yeah they uh they they convince the local police um in Honduras to cooperate with the investigation and they um, are able to identify, they believe, the girl as um, a girl that is missing in Honduras. Yeah, um, presumed dead. They they declared her uh, um, dead. It was... Um, and so they, the... they find her photograph, and so they, they have this photograph, and um, Olivia gets the photograph, and she's like, wait a minute, I know her. And it's oh, like, wait. what in oh, the heck? What do you mean you know her? Yeah, yeah. This this is where that gets really crazy. Real quick to add, though, the information they also get from Honduras that's important here. Yeah, she's presumed dead. The mom is alive. Yeah. And what happened was the mom had sent her with a cousin to get smuggled into the U.S. because her dad is in the U.S., in Las Vegas, her, yeah. She was supposed to go, then, live, to go live with her dad. Yes, and then apparently she died in the desert. That is like, that's the, the Honduras's, pers- like, like police's, what they think has happened. Yeah, so then they get that picture and... You know, they, the, and, you know, like, uh, like, uh, Chimera was saying there. So then they, you know, Benson panics and remembers this and they start just fucking tearing apart, uh, um, files trying to find what she's thinking of. And, and she remembers that, um, she had received some, um, posters, I guess, from, um, Canadian authorities who were trying to, um, locate a, child pornographer um and so they had pictures of um child pornography that they had distributed to um the svu precinct for them to you know keep an eye out for and that girl maria happened to be one of them and um they're able to pull up those photos and the room is exactly as maria described over the 911 call so they're like oh crap this is not a hoax this is real there's a little girl Mm-hmm. She's actually stuck in a dungeon because of some pedophile. Yeah. <clears throat> so they're and, able to identify her, but they, they still have no idea where she's at. Right. 
Right. And so, yeah, they're, they, the they're receiving keeps, this. keeps changing. Every time that mm-hmm. the phone hangs up and she calls back, it jumps from one spot in the city to another spot to another spot. Mm-hmm. And I think at this point, they've caught on that that's not normal <laughs> for it to be doing that. Um, and so they're bringing in an FBI uh, expert um, to weigh in on and see what's going on with the uh, phone signal. Um, who actually the expert that comes in is the, <laughs> I can't remember the actress's name, but um, she plays Miranda Bailey in Grey's Anatomy. Uh, um, Chandra Wilson. She's great. Yeah, yeah. I that was that was funny because I recognized her immediately because of you watching a lot of Grey's Anatomy lately. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, wait, wait a second. Both of us were like. <laughs> So more more of that uh just funny I feel like every actor or actress has to has to do a, a stint on SVU apparently it it's just like a thing you have like to do even bit parts you can just see most of the like actors who <clears throat> even on bit parts on SVU these actors have been in other stuff that you know them from but <laughs> it seems like tradition that if you are either a character actor of some kind or even just uh, an actor who is a resident of the east coast in some way you have been on an episode of svu either playing uh the main bad guy villain or you are some bit part that appears for like a couple minutes as a few speaking lines and so yes uh uh our um uh, so and so yes yeah, so miranda bailey from gray's anatomy uh is able to uh look into the phones and see that what it is is they put a virus in the cell phone company i don't know if this is like junk tech like, like kind of like a virus th- to this the switchboard that it's co- i i don't feels a little techno virus of the switchboard I, I think there's a little techno babble, a little 2004, assuming people don't know how computers work at this point. I, I'm pretty sure that's what's going on here. But how do I send email? Yeah, I, I think it's a little. But but the point for the story. Yeah, so is they're that, like, yes, this hacker has has hacked into the Leo Pluridon and is able to <laughs> convert his signal to alternate cell towers and so, separate synapses firing off of the, the mainframe. <laughs> And I'm like, well, I don't know how to mute myself on Microsoft Teams, so sounds right to me. <laughs> it sounds right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know so a little thing about they're, technology they're... lately. My nephew taught me Control C. <laughs> I I just learned that you can uh, you this this cool function on my computer called the uh, copy paste. <laughs> Uh, I don't I need think to she's using it a... anymore. <laughs> she's using. A, I, I, I'm. A, I'm a bit. Of, I know what I'm talking about with computers. I use a task manager. Uh, Holy shit! Anyway, <laughs> but it. Some, yes. Yes. <laughs> the point of the story is that is that the uh, <clears throat> the point of the story is that like the guy has hacked into or altered the cell company towers so that this phone is not does not stay in one place so that they don't no one could get like a solid beat on where it's coming from mm-hmm. yep so they they've got her working on uh removing the virus and trying to trace the actual call but it still takes quite a bit in the episode so olivia's got to keep her talking gather more information 
and just and like, get her on the phone tired. as long as she it's, can. <laughs> Maria is getting like very tired from talking on the phone all day from all of the awful shit that the piece of the resident piece of shit monster uh, in this episode has done to her. Along with that, she's not eaten for several days. Uh, she, mm-hmm. it's overwhelming, and you can kind of hear that she's beginning to pass out, and Olivia is fucking panicking. Yeah, and I mean, and, I think and, at this point in the episode, it's like early morning. Like they've been talking on the phone. It is, yeah, night. yeah. And well, um, the and, girls. And, the, go ahead. Oh, you know, I was, I was going to say, and this is like, you know, the suspense of this is built up quite a bit. Like, I think I don't remember where it was that I think we've skipped past it already. But um, one of the most suspenseful scenes in it is because of one of the techno battle battle reasons. They have to have her hang up and call back again, and. Yeah they just like don't know if she's going to actually call back right or something or if something's going to happen so you know and she says she's too scared to hang up she doesn't want benson off the phone and so she she hangs up and then there's like a solid like minute of just staring at the phone like waiting for it and the panic kind of setting in um the reason i'm also bringing that that, uh um, just a quick thing about that because I I noticed how they use that throughout the episode was that in the beginning where you th- where it's played off as a as a as a hoax as a as a <clears throat> where it's played off as a hoax or a prank it perfectly feels like it's they're not gonna call they're not gonna call back because they've been had and then mm-hmm. as the episode ramps up in tension every single time that she there's that pause it's all right, she's not gonna call back. This is a prank. Okay, she called back. Uh, it might be the vote. Like the, it starts to shift, and by the end, where, where you had that last time that she calls back and that pause, it, it feels like you could. The tension in the room is so well done. It's so well constructed that the tension feels like palpable every time. Yeah, and so then this builds to I think the most one of the most essential scenes in the movie. Or see, I'm calling it a movie because it feels yeah. like a movie. Uh, yeah. um, is that they finally they get rid of the virus? They do their little techno babble, and they need her to redial one last time. The phone is is dying. It's like at the end, and you know Maria's like going to. She wants to hang up. She's like, I'm sleepy. And she sees the phone notifications battery thing. And she's saying her phone is sleepy too. And so like they're, everyone's about to pass out. It looks like bad. And it's like, just please redial. You just have to redial. And when she's about to do that, you hear the sound of the door opening. And oh, Christ. then In comes Richard. Richard picks up the phone and says, who is this? And Benson goes, this is the police. We know exactly where you are. And he goes, no, you don't, and hangs up. Fuck. Yeah. And they indeed have no idea where the fuck she is. They don't. They, like, she played it to the- bluff, but they, oh, it, <laughs> that, we will we'll, uh, obviously critique the show, but when, when this is such well-constructed writing and drama, mm-hmm. that that moment where he picks up the, he, when you hear Richard's voice, like a pin drops. Mm-hmm. If he's like, Fuck, yeah, it's, it's too late. You know, Dick Wolf knows what he's doing. I will say, he knows how to make good suspense. Holy shit! <clears throat> and um, gosh, I don't even remember how they what um, it is they do next because I know they're no. Like... I, I I took I took notes. I'll, I'll get us okay. there. Don't worry. So <clears throat> the phone the phone hangs up. 
and um, they're like, oh shit. So then they start going through all the pictures from the Montreal files that have been sent over. You know, they're looking through all these pictures of Maria. And then finally it clicks with them that the Felipe's thing was not made up. Felipe's is in the image from Montreal, like in one of the images from Montreal. There is the Montreal a, a sent, cup. sent them. Yeah. There is a, a bag with Felipe's and a cup on it. So clearly it's just been getting reused to give her food in or something like that. But it, it she wasn't lying about that. And so, so it is within it is in the city because they think, fuck, it might be in Canada for all we know. Yeah. And then they realize looking at remembering the location of Felipe's and knowing that this guy is using a bunch of complicated technology to fuck with the communication system, that there is a communication store next door to where Felipe's was. And so that's where they go and they raid that area. Um, also, uh, this was something we left out earlier during her, uh, the Maria's description of this. This is important here uh description of richard she had mentioned that he had this blue sun like blue glasses case and so he he always like would wear glasses when he was in there and or when he would come in he would take his glasses off and put them in this blue glasses case so um they go out they go to the communication store and as they're um about to enter it they um see a guy who's observing in a car and Benson sees that he puts he pulls his glasses out of a blue glasses case and he's about to speed off. And so she steps in front of the car, puts her gun out and then they go. Well, they break. Well, good. Well, she doesn't just arrest him. Uh, he breaks really hard in front of her. And then Finn just knocks the shit out of him, <laughs> just punches him through the car window. In such a satisfying crunch. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> and then they arrest him. That's right. Um, they go into the store? Because, uh, remember, they found the fucking room in the store. Yeah, so they break into the store and they go through a staff-only room and find there's like all this back room shit. And eventually get, and they find a room, and it's the room that was in the child board images. Oh, shit. Um, and and Maria's yet, not no, there. And Maria's not there. And so they know he had enough time to have killed her and buried her or something, right? Um, and so they're like, oh, God, they, they don't know what they're doing. Um, and, you know, they have Richard, <laughs> you know, handcuffed in the in the room. And they're, they're you know, he's, he's yelling about how this is his dad's store and he doesn't know what's going on and all that shit. It's like, oh, baby, anyway, I, could, I could give you a list of employees. Maybe they did this. Um, yeah, all that shit. And then, uh, another just great, like, again, crime fiction, mystery fiction, little detail. He, he puts, you know, like kind of crisscrosses his legs. So Benson sees a shoe and then she calls Finn in and goes, Hey, it's interesting. Cause I, I think he said he was going to, he was at a business meeting or something like that. She's like, that's interesting. So you've got mud on your shoes. What were you doing at a business meeting with mud on your shoes? And he's like, I don't know, he's babbling. And then Finn pulls off a piece of burnt wood off the shoe. And they realize that that meant he went and he buried her in the Felipe's lot where it burned down. So so they race across the street. Not before Finn could punch him one more time. um, (laughs) Yeah, he got punched Because it felt, and it felt, it felt somehow after his smarmy fucking shit. It felt a little bit better. 
it kind of felt better after after that second one. Yep, yep. Yeah, I think God Stabler wasn't in this episode because he would have oh, massacred fuck. He that just guy. Just murdered. <laughs> yeah, but they wouldn't have even found the girl because they would have walked in the room and Elliot would have just. <laughs> Fucking killed the guy right away. It's just yeah. There's no person there anymore. There's just hamburger on the walls, and <laughs> Elliot just Stabler just like curb stops him, so it's just like a smear where his head used to be. I don't know what happened. He just started talking. Oh shit! You see, that's mud on his shoes, right? But um, oh god, I don't want to let uh, let the listener be waiting with bated breath right now because they're probably worried is Maria alive or not, right? Like we all are while watching this. So they because uh, they it's it's it doesn't seem very good that this is gonna have a happy ending. So they go to the Felipe's lot. They dig up. They dig up first a big trash bag filled with uh, outfits that she wore that got mentioned in the in Maria's initial call that I forgot to mention earlier. Uh, Cause it wasn't super important. They find that and they're like, Oh God. And then they dig deeper and they find Maria is uh, in a trash bag has been buried alive or, you know, and they, they, she's not responding. She seems dead. Benson does CPR. Maria wakes up. And in the final moment of the episode, Maria says, Olivia recognizing her voice from from the nine one one call, I'm not this ashamed is to admit I this teared t- up at that. At that, I, you know what? I, I'll say it too. I, I I did a little bit. I did a little bit. It, it's that last chunk is really good. <laughs> it's it's uh, this is like crime fiction, murder mystery fiction, whatever you want to, you know, that kind of thing at its like best. Honestly, <laughs> like this episode. Oh man, yeah, it's good. It like it's got that thriller and that. Um, you know, it, it has that sense of urgency to it that they've got to save this mm-hmm. girl. They've got a limited time frame. Um, and it's got the mystery element is the the whole episode. You're kind of like, is this a real call or is, you know, mm-hmm. trying to figure out the details. And um, it's just great. Yeah. I, uh, strong, I... strong female lead. Mm-hmm. Yep. You got a heroic female lead is very cool. Um, yeah, I mean, look, look, yeah, at the end of the day, as we always say, Law and Order SVU is copaganda. I will say th- this one, I, I don't quite see where the copaganda is. I, I guess maybe it's in the notion of like, oh, our, our, you know, our boys in blue or rather, rather our, our strong female leads in blue, they'll do anything to save an innocent life. You know what I mean? It's pr- so it should be noted that. that like everyone, Kraken does not come out of the episode looking good because he was going to just drop this and it was on the assistance of olivia Mm -hmm. that no there is something here we have to everyone in the squad room uh with the exception of like of finn because finn is uh out there uh going from place like uh he's going from place to place looking for uh where she could be he's going to uh, spanish harlem he's going to the hall tunnel he's going to queens he's going all over so he's not in the room in the squad room, but Kraken and Munch are, and they just they they just want to let this go. Mm-hmm. The only yeah. person, the only cop who comes out of this looking good is Olivia. Yeah, yeah, and so I think that's why it works as a good piece of just like crime fiction or something like that. Is because I'm a little more invested in like 
Benson solving the case than I am like the police getting the sickos. You know what I mean? It's more like I'm looking. Well, I mean, and of course it is still satisfying to watch Finn punch the child pornographer, but I, I mean more, it's just like the focus on it isn't about just how cool cops are, but more like how cool this, like one individual who is fighting to solve this case, regardless of what anyone around her is telling her to do. You I know, also it's want to like, note that, that Benson initially was trying to do like a, a stabler thing to the, uh, to the, to the pedophile. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. not working. He immediately just says lawyer. Yep. Yep. But then she does some investigative work and like pays attention to his body language, gets Finn in there to uh, unnerve him because uh, Finn can be very unnerving when he wants to be. <laughs> and get him to show his shoes and completely destroy his story of going to a business meeting and instantly getting physical evidence that there is dirt and burnt wood here. There is right next door, a burnt down lot. You buried her over there. Mm -hmm. There is it. It's, it's a well-written crime story. I think that that's, that's just kind of where this episode landed. I completely see why this ended up on the list of like best law and order episodes at number one. Mm -hmm. I, I might have to agree with them while the, uh, if you listened to the previous episode, I didn't mention it there, but look, um, the uh, conscience episode is pulpy. It's kind of fun in a pulpy way, in that mm-hmm. it is ridiculous. The, the Kyle that... McLaughlin choosing shooting a child episode to clarify <laughs> yes, uh... for people who have forgotten. It's been two weeks it, for them, so <laughs> it's it, it's been two weeks for you. It's been uh, not that long for us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the Kyle, in the Kyle, but Kyle, uh, <clears throat> in the Kyle McLaughlin shoots a child episode. Kyle McLaughlin shoots a child um, because that child is in fact Damien from the Omen, and Kyle McLaughlin needs to stop uh, this satanic incursion before it can kill more people. <laughs> that's that's the logic of that. This this is good crime shit. This is a good yeah. crime story yeah it 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 delivers on everything i want out of a out of crime fiction honestly i i yeah i'm i'm impressed i i it is it is a solid one i'm i'm a sucker for especially like i think phone phone call based kind of delivery of information type slow reveal movie or like movies like that and, and that kind of is how this felt you know one like completely unrelated thing, but one one detail that's odd is you, men- you we mentioned that Olivia Benson was going on a date. Um, it, uh, uh, Chimera, you know the like lore of this show a little yeah. more. Who's she dating at this point, or is she dating anyone? Um, it's some it's some random guy. That's at the beginning of the episode. Um, let me see. This was what episode se- or season seven? Season seven, episode three. So this is after her beginning little fling with Cassidy. Mm. Quite a quite a little while. It's just like some random guy that she's going. It's on the just date some with. random. I I think yeah. we like learned a lot about the guy because of the date. The date they had set up was they were going to to spam a lot, <laughs> oh, <laughs> which is yeah. just a funny detail that um they were going to uh, you know the the body python musical. <laughs> I do like how how uh, when Munch uh, when she tells Munch uh, about the the kaput date, Munch is like, "Yeah, I, I heard it's funny." I'm sorry. 
it it is a funny little inter- that's like one of those like i would like in a movie kind of interactions where they're just like looking over all these pictures silently and it's just like heard you had a date tonight yep what were you gonna do i was gonna see a show what show spam a lot <laughs> i don't know like the the dry dialogue is just very fun it was very funny to me it was well done i think that's why <laughs> in my head i kind of think of this as a short move like a short film yeah it, i think it yeah it's structured like a movie and even the dialogue kind of the the writing feels more in line with a movie than the typical law and order episodic episode formula yeah and i, I think part of that is also it doesn't feel like you know, which we love of this about SVU, but usually the episode spirals out of control, which this one does that, but it's also all still fixed on a single goal. That's why it feels, I think, most like a movie is it doesn't feel like this kind of episodic, oh, all this shit is swirling around and all these characters drama. It's it's very much like uh, introduce the conflict at the very beginning with the phone call, and we are following that conflict alone to its resolution. You know what I mean? It just has a very one track kind of direction, you know? Also unusual for law and order is that it has like a, like kind of an unequivocally happy ending. Yeah. And I, and I, I have to wonder if that's part of why this one did so well is because it was, it, you know, it, it has that happy ending when it, so much of it is based around all hope being lost. Like the odds are so bad for solving this the whole time. So when it finally does, it's got a real cathartic burst to it that I, I don't know. A lot of the like, if you think about the have. other the background stuff. Imagine getting her mom's hope up that your daughter is not dead, and then having to go tell mm-hmm. her, "No, your daughter did die, and the last couple and of it years was- have been a living hell." Yeah, it's it's been so much worse than you imagined. Yeah, that is the image of tr- of telling somebody something that's fucking horrifying. So the stakes feel so much higher than than what is typical. And to mm-hmm. have the ending be Benson won. Yep. And I mean, I Benson you know, won, I want- is alive. It it sets up so much. Like I think this is one of those episodes that is part of the the mythos of Benson that kind of, you know, she becomes throughout the show because like, I mean, the final words of the episode are Olivia, Olivia, my hero, you know, essentially unsaid, but kind of implied. It's like, it really is like an episode about this is how fucking awesome Olivia Benson is. It really helps like solidify what her role is going to be in the show, you know, for the rest of its runtime, you know? I do wonder, and I, I, I want I want Chimera's take on this, because you've seen more of the later seasons when uh, Stabler is gone, right? Yeah. It kind of feels that this episode is like the one that kind of determines that, yeah, Benson is the main character of, of SVU. Like, Benson is the heart of SVU. Yeah. Rather than it being like an ensemble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, it definitely... Um kind of shows her standing alone in this mm-hmm. episode i'm trying to think if there's very many episodes before this that do that um, i mean there's episodes where the first episode is 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 kind of but it's still it's benson and stabler it's still like like the yeah the it's two like, as partners yeah um apparently the episode after this one is focused more on stabler 
And what's kind of interesting is they um, the the episode four of this season was not written to be episode four of the season. So there's apparently some chronology problems that like the mega nerd fans have with episode four of the season. And the reason it got bumped forward was they wanted to make it even still that. You know, you know, that we did a Benson centric episode and Stabler wasn't even on it. So let's put the, the Stablers being the main character episode right afterwards. And they fucked up like the order of episodes to make that happen. And I think that's kind of interesting though, that they were still trying to make the case that both are still main characters and they just get both, both of them just get their special episode. But when it comes to the ratings of the episodes, um long term like you know th- this was like one of the most watched episodes of the season i believe i think it was the most watched episode of the season stuff like that like uh because of audience reaction in a sense that's how benson won it's kind and of i gotta be honest uh, stabler is 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 a problematic uh fave of, of law <laughs> order i think yeah, that's i i will i will critique stabler but i am not going to lie Stabler is a fun fucking character to watch, but there's something about this episode that shows that, yeah, no, there's a reason why when it came down to it, you could do Law and Order without, without Stabler, but you couldn't do it without Benson. I don't think you could do this show without Benson. I think that's what this establishes because the show is not about, well, the show does not want to be about um, revenge against sickos. The show wants to be about uh, defending victims. Um, and, and that's also like part of how it works as copaganda well, too, is because it isn't just about doing the revenge thing. Because that would feed into w- what people don't like about cops if it was all about, you know, just beating up the bad guys. Um, it needs to have that heart for it to be effective in kind of what it's trying to say about police and its perspective about police, you know? Also, I don't I, think you could make a show about sex crimes um, and not have, like, this empath- like sympathetic character at the center, you know what I mean? Who's who's really invested in the victim's mental state and stuff like that. I, I think, not I think the show term. would get really gross. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, not not to the point where the show is still running. Not it, it would not be the same. I don't think it. It would feel, it would feel like it would feel gross. While when mm-hmm. you have, <clears throat> while when you have Benson be such an empathetic supporter of victims to a fault, I think that that's why ultimately this is this is Law and Order at its best, both in terms of writing, but also in terms of the empathy that that victims feel from law and order is the i the feeling that there is someone in your court who will fight for you regardless of anything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah no matter if they're not believed for for believing in you no matter if it feels impossible it's it's that and uh, you know in critical ones that's why the propaganda works because of episodes like this and how good they are mm-hmm. yeah and you know because i mean the reality is is like this isn't this is that there are not a lot of Olivia Bensons on the police force, like actually. No. You know, and I, of course the show kind of acknowledges that because because Olivia Benson is the only one. But I also feel like there is kind of an implicit and there's an Olivia Benson in your city too. You know what I mean? It, that's that's at least is how I kind of see it through the good apples thesis we've been 
exploring through these episodes, you know? And it's not, this is always when, when, when you have an episode like this, this isn't a bad message that there is, a, that's a good thing. People should feel that, that to try to, 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 to mm-hmm. promote that there should be people that are in victim's court, no matter what, that's a, that I would say that that's a beautiful message, but the reality mm-hmm. is that that's not the reality of, uh, of, of police departments. That's not the reality of of so many of these places that uh, will frequently re-traumatize victims specifically because they do not believe them. Yeah. Um, I think we probably should go a little longer to make this like a full episode, but I I don't know where to go with this. I'm going to cut my, I'll cut myself saying this out, but do you guys have an idea of where to go? Like, I thought that there would be more, but it's just a good episode. It feels like I, I, yeah. Well, this kind of, um, is one of a handful of episodes that I think really posits Olivia as having a strong connection with children and a strong desire to protect children. And, uh, you know, more and more as the show goes on, eventually until she becomes a mother in the show, it's just like constantly being like, don't you wish you were a mother, Olivia? And... Or being like, oh, oh, I just love I, kids. I completely forgot about that part. That was, that and it feels kind of odd. Just, yeah. This just felt like one of those episodes that kind of contributes to that. Where, And I mean, Olivia does obviously have uh, an ability to connect with um, children victims. It, they show it repeatedly throughout the show. But um, this is just one of those moments where at the, the end of the show, um, little Maria is reaching up as she's you know reaching out of this shallow grave and she touches olivia's face and she's like olivia and Mm -hmm. you know it's this it's this touching moment um yeah also they're kind of like it's this calling of destiny for olivia you you are going to be a mother see you are maternal The, yeah the the oracle of of children has spoken and you know you've you've been deemed uh the protector of children worthy the, the great chosen and you have been chosen people are always in the show making it a point of conversation and in fact it is a point of conversation at one point in the episode yeah, um, yeah. maria asks olivia when they're on the phone together early on she goes do you have any children and right. olivia's like oh i I would love to have children, but I don't have any right now. Mm-hmm. Which is it, it? I wonder. I, this would require to go back, probably from the beginning, and then see to like try try to chart where does this worm get started of Olivia, like this pushing of like, hey Olivia, you should be a mom one day. Olivia, Olivia, mm-hmm. don't you want to be a mom? Don't you want to be a mom? It like it. It's constant. Up until she actually adopts her son. <laughs> yes. Yes. Which which happens way later on, right? Like that's a yeah, newer yeah. season kind of thing. I yeah. Um so it, it was building that way for a long time. You know, if if we stick to this project and I'm committed enough, I will have to binge the whole show at some point, I think, to like fully, you know, see the flow of it and have that in my head, because Cause yeah, I, I have the gist, but it's, you know, again, it's one of those shows that I've watched the way that we've been covering it, which is just pure, you know, sporadic episodes. 
Okay, but it would I be have, interesting to track a... that. So she adopted Noah in the season fifteen final. Um, 15, that was when. Okay. That was when she. Now I, I think it was a later episode in a later season when she like formally adopted Noah, but she became the legal guardian of Noah with like the. She's the foster parent of Noah, and then like after a year, then she has the option to officially like legally adopt him. But that's season fifteen, and we're in season seven. Seven, yeah. yeah. And I don't so think it's... this is the first time we've heard the maternal thing getting suggested mm-hmm. either. And I'm pretty sure it goes a few seasons prior to this, at least. Yeah. I. So it's we'll in get, season we'll one. Get more. Yeah, we'll get more of this as we go, but... They do eventually pay off, I guess. Yeah, I can't decide what I think of that. You know, because, like, I, I think there's probably a, <clears throat> a kind of a vulgar feminist reading of it. That's, you know, not very nuanced that I would be like, that's kind of gross, right? Like, the whole thing is just like, you know, yeah, yeah, you've got this job, but really all it is... Is that really you just want to be a mom, and one day you're going to be a mom, you know? But on the other hand, I don't, I I don't even, think that's fully it. I'm being a little. That's like the like. Yeah, that's like a caricature overly of, cynical yeah. kind of analysis. Yeah, I would say that like one critique could be well, why because she's so empathetic. Why does she then? Why does it then have to then become maternal? Why could mm-hmm. it just not be that she's just an extremely empathetic person, um, and it's not necessarily couched in she secretly really wants to be a mother. Mm-hmm. That's that's a that would be, but I mean it like they it's not as if it's coming from nowhere. I mean they they bring it up. I think in every season of SVU it is brought up that Olivia Benson kind of wants to be a mom. Yeah, and you know I I think there's another way of framing it, which is more that it's not just because. Because you're a woman, you know, you got to be having kids, right? It, it's more, not just that you're a, you know, that, that Benson's a woman, but that she is a particularly empathetic one who would be a very good mom. And mm-hmm. that's, that's why it's her destiny, less because of her quality of just being a woman and more um, this clear desire she has to protect children. And, you know, the show, we see no no you know short small amount of very bad moms uh throughout svu even even olivia's own mom they uh, Mm -hmm. if you listen back to the first not the very first episode of 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 this project but um when we covered the first episode of law and order uh covering the bosnian genocide uh, we see (laughs) olivia's mom and olivia has like a good relationship with her mom but then later on it's retconned that the relationship with olivia's mom was very fraught and in many ways it was it it olivia's mom was not the best um of course given the circumstances it's far more complicated than that but it all it, it does then also somewhat make sense that olivia who grew up in such a fraught childhood for sort of this thing everything surrounding her her childhood that she would want to for her it's kind of like i can fix it i can i can give mm-hmm. something that i didn't have to somebody else something stable something uh loving something not complicated the same way that 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 mine was yeah and you know and 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 then also consistently working with a lot of you know child victims often victims of their own parents or victims of negligent parents um who then you know got preyed upon and so there's a sense where like you know as stabler descends into deeper uh, amounts of violence 
Benson descends into like deeper levels of love for children. Yeah, it's 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 why their dynamic works is that they are they are polar opposites in many ways. One of them being pardon me. One of them being how they respond to the wear that the job gives them. Like like Stabler gets more and more and more uh violent to an extent where it's not even just about uh yes uh yes stabler beat up the creep it's this is unhealthy but for benson her she finds a healthy outlet uh benson is growing to be a more loving person rather than yeah more violent person so um yeah, you know, yeah, you you had said she had a healthy outlet, which is again like unlike so many of the of the characters in SVU who we see the uh, one of the points that you see is that many of these characters, even like the main scenes that we have right now, outside of Finn, who just is just gonna mm-hmm. be there forever until Ice T gets tired of playing Finn, which I, I, he's not. Um, <laughs> I don't think he's going to anytime soon. I, I don't. It's been a quite a long time. I do not think that he's he. he I don't think he's gonna stop. Um, uh, unlike the only ones who stay there constantly are Ice T and Finn. Everyone else just cycle through, and the, the shows for for these characters is that the job wears on them badly, and it affects them badly, and it gives them poor coping mechanisms to deal with the stress. But uh, Finn gets better, and Olivia gets better. They both have healthy ways of of, of dealing with it. Uh, for Finn, yeah, they, they, we'll cover it eventually is is uh, him reconciling with with his son, um, and for Olivia, it's uh, having a healthy social life and a ultimately a healthy familial life. Yeah, it, yeah, I, I think that's that's a really that's really interesting. These these characters are kind of, that are kind of based around like because they're faced with evil in the world, they want to be better. I think that's kind of an interesting thing because so often media depicts it as being exposed to so much evil eventually just makes you kind of either give into it or become cynical or whatever. So I think it's kind of, you know, that's interesting. There's a surprising amount of optimism when it comes to the character of, of specifically like Benson's story arc. There's a, there's a surprising amount of hope. And that's ultimately like what the, the end of this episode is a hope spot after all of this, this tension, all of the pain, all of the, 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 the running down of the clock of them to save this girl. The end is an affirmation that not only did they do it, they probably only did it because of, of Olivia. Well, I, I think that's, um, that's about it for what we've got here. Unless you guys have anything else you want to, uh, bring nope. up before we wrap up. No, um, the, uh, I guess the only thing I wanted to say was like, I mean, it shows this repeatedly throughout the show, but just like just how much their jobs prevent them from having lives really outside of outside of their jobs. This is like a good example of that. Like Olivia was like, you know, going on a date and got called back in. And like, I mean, the minute she gets called back in, um, she kind of looks at her date like, well, part of the job or, you know, nice Mm -hmm. knowing you. And it just seemed very like very much like something she was accustomed to not being able to you know take time away from work yeah yeah that's that's um like kind of this theme that that seems to exist in a lot of shows about jobs 
like like detective or like doctors i see this mm-hmm. a lot in doctor shows as well um first responders of any sort <clears throat> and i i think it's probably it's based in, it's based in reality i think to some extent like these kind of jobs yeah. are you know take a lot but yeah <clears throat> but also still the cops suck we still have to say this this is yeah, important we, that we add this it's important that, that, that this is critical um this is go listen back to any of the previous other episodes for uh critical takes on on this this <laughs> no, just please. happens to be an exceptionally good episode yep yep that still also Man. shows that in, if just it was the only reason why maria was found in the end was because of the one good apple yep in a system that's consistently trying to not help <sighs> all right well, uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, I have been Josiah Sutton. You can follow me at JosiahWSutton on Twitter.com. And also, I do all sorts of stuff, including a podcast called Fruitless and uh, a, a other podcast called Mammonberg that um, I don't know if it'll still be on hiatus by the time this episode's out, but it's been on hiatus for a little bit. Uh, but you should go listen to old episodes of it. And I have been joined by two wonderful co-hosts here. I have been joined by Chimera. Hi, uh, you can find me on Twitter if you so choose. Um, my Twitter handle is at Calliterus444. And I am and joined by Jackal. Hello, everyone. I am Jackal. You can find me uh, somewhere. Uh, you can also find me on Mammonberg and uh, popping up occasionally on Fruitless with Josiah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, and uh, as as we say, um, as as in the words of Dick Wolf himself, dun dun. Dun dun. dun. <laughs> <laughs> I like doing that. I'm going to start saying that more and more now. In the words. In the immortal of words of, of Dick Wolf. Oh, oh, oh. And also, Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Christmas episode. Nope. I think you two froze again. Froze for me. Uh, I don't know. I am connected to the internet. Okay, let me say that again. Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody, by the way. Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas. This was the Christmas episode. (laughs) This is the Christmas episode. (laughs) Yeah, there was some hope at the end, yeah? We got a little bit of of exciting hope there. Okay, I will turn off the recording.